What's up, Radical Recyclers? You are listening to The State of Sustainability, a podcast that highlights sustainability initiatives throughout the state and develops a casual conversation about environmental stewardship that the average person can understand and replicate. This month, we are going to be talking about recycling. It is a broad topic, but most people don't really realize how to do it well or if they're doing it. I mean, so my thing is, I've always recycled. I've been around the solid waste industry for my entire life. And so I sort of understand it, and it's sort of like second nature to me. My friends, they come to me all the time and be like, Caleb, can can I recycle this? Or, or they think they're doing such a good job by putting, you know, these one-time-use plastic bags from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually messes with the entire bales of plastic and stuff like that. So we're just trying, with this podcast, trying to bring more attention to the best ways to recycle, maybe what you can do uh, better, and then also what what's in play that, that you can take advantage of. Um, today we are very excited to have um, a guest, Jennifer Westerholm. She is the Sustainability and Outreach Manager for General Services Division of Sustainability. So a perfect fit for the podcast. Her experience includes federal government work for the Department of Energy in Washington, D.C. as an energy efficiency analyst and at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, there she was a climate change research fellow. Jennifer has worked with nonprofit organizations focused on justice, health, and the environment in Nashville and beyond, both as staff members and as board members. Most recently, she was the executive director of Urban Green Lab, and if you guys will remember, that was podcast number two. We had Todd Lawrence um, on here. He was talking a little bit about that, so if you haven't heard that podcast, go back and listen to it. You can learn a lot more about Urban Green Lab. They have a lot of stuff going on. Um, and actually, they are looking for some new hires. So mm-hmm. if you are interested and passionate about the environment, send an application. Todd would really appreciate that. So to finish up, uh, she is currently serving on, on the board of directors of Greenways for Nashville. So she is very, very involved, very, very experienced, and we are very, very happy to have you, Jennifer. So Thanks. Glad to be here. So like I said, we're going to be talking about what we are doing currently for recycling, um, our office and just Nashville in general, or Tennessee in general, um, the state of recycling, and then maybe, you know, some things that you can do to better recycle um, or just do it better. Uh, that sounds weird, but um, so, Ashley? Yeah, um, so uh, our office actually has uh, what we call a green cube. Uh, and we recycle things from um, uh, empty pill bottles to small electronics, plastic bags, you name it. We even have a book exchange. People bring magazines, all kinds of things. Um, and we're uh, always looking for a place to take those items. Um, uh, if you have, if you work in an office, you can do that as well. And we actually have resources online that we can provide the link for. Um, but as far as in your home, you can easily do that, do something mini like that as well. You know, um, uh, make sure that you're recycling. If you use plastic bags at the grocery store, put it separate. Like Caleb said, don't put them in with the rest of the recyclables. I have seen um, workers at um, 
Recycling. MRFs. MRFs, which yes. Is, which stands for Municipal Recycling Facility. Yes. If you ever I, hear MRF, that's what that, that means. I've seen workers at MRFs um, have to close everything down or shut everything down and spend about an hour or two hours um, two times a day pulling bags out of the machinery um, because it just gets stuck in there. Um, so, you know, if you want to help them out, either uh, recycle those separate or just don't use them at all. Use yeah. reusable bags. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, whenever I go and I'm getting, you know, three or four items, they always try to bag it. And I'm like, oh, no, no, please. Um, I, it's bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. And they look at me. And I think they sort of look at me like I'm saying, like, oh, you're doing something bad for the environment. Yes, I'm not meaning okay. to do that. I'm trying to, you know, educate them that, you know, when I don't need one, I can just carry it out. So. It's become a habit, though. You just, okay. Mm-hmm. It, like, if I only buy two things... I'm not getting a bag. I'm mm-hmm. gonna walk out with it, show my receipt. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. not stealing this, you know. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I wanted to mention um, plastic bags. That's one of the uh, the biggest um, worst things that you can <laughs> recycle. Because well, it's, yeah, I mean, it costs and issues. the thing is, a lot of people that I know think that they're doing a good job by put by putting those plastic bags in their. Um, you know, curbside mm-hmm. um, recycling, and it just really messes up the whole operation. And they also use it to put their recyclables in, which is even worse because though most of the time that has to get thrown out because mm-hmm. um, it just messes with um, with the system. So um, one other thing I wanted to mention real quick. So um, plastic bottles are an, another huge uh, component of waste in the landfill. Um, so if you do away with plastic bottles altogether, um, so let's just say that um, you drink the average of four plastic, uh, four bottles of water a day, um, you'll be saving uh, fourteen hundred over fourteen hundred plastic bottles from going into the landfill each year, um, which is awesome. Um, and then on an economic standpoint, you'll actually be saving $3,000 per year. Think of what you could do with $3,000. Just, just think about it. First of all, that's a lot of groceries. I just spend it on food. Um, (laughs) but you know, so you're saving money and you're saving the environment, um, uh, choosing to use a reusable water bottle. So yeah, I haven't used a plastic water bottle in probably a year and a half or two years. That's good. I have, t- I have like three Nalgene bottles. Um, and that, just circulate them? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I just keep them in my fridge, and then you got nice ice cold water. And mm-hmm. and a lot of people, I think, use plastic bottles for convenience. But, I mean, my Nalgene bottle, I can put my stickers on it. I can, you mm-hmm. know. So, I mean, I don't know. I just think that a reusable plastic bottles are just something that we just need to get away from and exactly. I, know, I know a lot of my friends are like oh it's just convenient I can just take it and then I don't have to really keep up with it I, I can just throw it away or you know and most of the time just leave it where, you know, wherever they are mm. um, if they're going to play sports or anything like that it's, no, it's normal yeah it's convenient, convenient for people yeah, yeah. I mean but... speaking of convenience um, I know I live in Murfreesboro and we don't we did have a curbside recycling uh, company they went out of business um and so now all my friends and my neighbors are like, hey, what do we do with our recycling? Caleb, you're, you're the big recycler. What do we do? What do we do? Can we give it to you? And I'm like, hang on, guys. Hold up. I can tell you where the nearest convenience center is. So I think what we'll do for on our Instagram for this uh, episode, we will add 
a link to where you can find all the convenience centers around Tennessee because that's just going to be your easiest bet. Um, so, um, yeah, we. I know we sort of got off on a little bit of a tangent, but like Ashley was talking about um, at the beginning, a green cube. It's a really, really cool idea, and we have a lot of um, useful tips and tricks, um, sort of like a SOP, a standard operating procedure for the green cube. We'll also link that in, on the Instagram. If you work in an office building, it's a great use of, if you have the extra little space, um, a lot of times people, if they're cleaning out their junk drawer mm-hmm. or they're cleaning off their desk or they have something at home that they don't want to throw away because it has a use, somebody could probably use it. You just bring it in, put it there. I walk by all the time and I find all kinds of stuff. I probably shouldn't be taking as much stuff as I do. It's sort of, <laughs> I sort of have a hoarding um, mentality, but it's a really nice way to get second or third uses out of things. and. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, check out that resource that we'll put on our Instagram. It's a really nice thing to bring to upper management to add a little bit of environmental responsibility into the office and it looks good. So, um, well Jennifer, I want to bring you in here and I want to talk about Nashville Socket a little bit. Um, I know I didn't mention that in your bio, but it is a really important um, organization Right? Organization? Is it? Yeah. So Socket is Nashville's sustainability outlet. We're a program of the Metro Nashville Department of General Services. And Socket is really a window into our city's ongoing sustainability initiatives. So um, folks can visit our website, look at us on socials. We have a newsletter. We do events around town. And it's just a way for folks to see what our department in particular, but really the city as a whole is doing to promote a cleaner, greener Nashville. And um, we also have a lot of tips and tricks for people in their home, in their offices, um, what they can do to just be better environmental stewards, save money, save energy, save resources. So it's really a lot of practical tips for people. We have a great video section, um, blogs that are seasonal and timely, and just a lot of wonderful resources for people. So, Well, I'll definitely make sure... Um We'll probably have the Socket logo as our Instagram picture for this episode, so you guys check that out. I think, it's funny, I think the first time that I ever heard about Socket was two years ago when I first started, and we were doing something at one of the new fire stations. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the first mm-hmm. time I ever met you. Yeah. And um, I was like, wow, this is awesome. I, I took up all the information I could about it and learned as much as I could, and it, it's just a really, really neat resource for um, the website is just a tremendous resource like you said the videos I love the videos a lot of people I reading is not my forte all the time so (laughs) watching videos is a lot of times the best way to get information out to people so yeah and I love that you said you met us at a fire station because as the Department of General Services for the city it's our responsibility to design build and manage many of Metro's facilities including it might have been fire station 19 which is our lead platinum Mm -hmm. building in our portfolio first lead platinum fire station in the southeast and so really we you think about the built environment it's almost like a inclusive microcosm of all things sustainable right it includes water energy food I mean everything kind of can go on solid waste mm-hmm. in the built environment and so um, as a department that manages that we feel like that's a really great opportunity for our um, employees and our visitors as they're going through these buildings or working in these buildings mm-hmm. to learn how to be sustainable on a daily basis exactly I mean I think that it's great because maybe some of those firefighters 
are going to definitely be bringing that home to to their mm-hmm. homes to try to reduce the amount of energy that they use. Because mm-hmm. I mean, being a good environmental steward, it's not just good for the environment; it's good for the pocket. I mean, it, you save money by not using as much water, by not using as much electricity or energy, mm-hmm. by you know cutting down on the waste that you. And I mean, Middle Tennessee, we don't have that much space when it comes to landfills Mm -hmm. so i mean it's it's really important to cut down on um, volume that goes into the landfills and what better way than recycling which is the the whole topic of this podcast so we wanted to jump into some items that you might be recycling wrong or you might think that you're doing a good job recycling but you might not be so um, we're probably going to hit you with a little bit of bad news if you think that you're doing it good by recycling, but um, in the end, it's it's better that we're letting you know and you know the the ins and outs. So um, of course, we already mentioned plastic bags. You really can't recycle plastic bags. Um, the you know the Kroger bags. And speaking of that, Kroger has a plan. What zero hunger, zero waste. The, yes. that's that's the the food waste but i'm talking well, about there that, that's uh, that's uh that's uh zero food waste zero there's uh, a lot more that goes into that okay. so they even uh you can buy reusable bags that has that logo on it but the goal stores. right is so that by 2025 was, they're gonna not have any more plastic, plastic bags, bags in exactly. the facilities yes, so correct so huge initiatives because kroger's is a giant yes, chain definitely. nationwide so and i think exciting. that that's going to be a huge jump start to a lot of other big big businesses, mm-hmm. big um, grocers um, doing the same thing. Well, at least I hope so. And um, what we're touching on here really, right, is sort of what a lot of, how a lot of people define sustainability is kind of that three Ps, right? People, planet, profit. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about any initiative, any program that we're designing or, or building, making sure that it hits on all three of those Ps so that it's profitable, you know, from an economic or monetary standpoint, but also that what is the impact on people, the social impact? Is it good for us Mm -hmm. as a society? And then of course our planet, is it gonna be sustainable over time? Is it supporting the natural ecosystems and you know, allowing us to use our natural resources conservatively now so that future generations also can enjoy what we're able to enjoy. So I think that's a really good kind of rule of thumb as people think about, well, is something sustainable? Is it, you know, does it hit on all three of those Ps? And then you know that it really is kind of a, good 3p mm-hmm. program yeah, so exactly so the fourth p the program <laughs> <laughs> well that was that was actually a great transition to into our questions because i was going to ask you what does sustainability mean to you but that hits right the nail right on the head um so with all of your experience could what, what do you think that the the basic person my friends what do you think that they could do to be more sustainable well, the easiest way well I think I'd like to talk about a couple ways that I think are both relatively easy and very impactful. So something that, you know, you can do and isn't terribly difficult, but also has a really huge impact. And one of the resources I've really enjoyed that I'm sure y'all are familiar with is a book called Drawdown, edited by Paul Hawken, which is basically the hundred most impactful, beneficial solutions to mitigating and uh, climate change. And I sometimes will use that as my guide. Number three and four on the list of 100, and this is you know through a lot of research and peer-reviewed studies and stuff, um, is reducing food waste and eating a more plant-based diet. 
So really it's about food, which isn't something most of us maybe normally think about right away when we're mm-hmm. thinking about sustainability. Food is not necessarily top of mind, but um, you can really see that in your daily life, you have control over that, right? I mean, it's in your control what you eat or don't eat or, or whether you're wasting food. And so um, I think that's one way that each of us as individuals can really make a huge difference. It's, all right, if we're going grocery shopping, we're buying what we need. We're using the things promptly and we're not, you know, pulling a bunch of stuff out of our refrigerator and throwing it away or even composting it. Um, so reducing food waste. Um, maybe when you go to the uh, restaurant, like splitting the plate instead of getting more than we need. Um, if you think about food waste, it's got this whole life cycle component to it, right? The food had to be grown and produced with all the chemical inputs and additives and water and all the energy going into that. Then it had to be transported mm-hmm. to the grocery store, or whatever, probably refrigerated, packaged. Then you put it in your refrigerator, and then if you throw it away, in the landfill, it's going to create methane, which is a potent greenhouse gas. So reducing food waste can help avoid all that whole chain of energy and water and chemical intensivity. And then the second thing, which, you know, isn't always popular to think about us saying, well, you shouldn't eat all that bacon or you need to cut down on the burgers. But really, no matter how much meat you eat or don't eat, whether you're a carnivore or vegan, I think everyone can think about the opportunity to just eat a more plant-based diet. It doesn't mean we have to not eat meat or not eat dairy, but it means that we think about fruits, vegetables, grains as the basis of our diet. And if you look at, say, a pound of beans versus a pound of beef or a pound of cheese, I mean, the carbon impact, the energy and water intensity Mm -hmm. of fruits and vegetables and grains is so much lower than the animal-based products. And that makes sense, right? The lower we eat processing, yeah. Mm -hmm. And the lower we eat on the food chain, it just doesn't have to have all those steps in between. So those are two ways that I think have a huge impact um, and that are really under our control as individuals and something we can do to to be greener and be more um, supportive of a a healthy planet. I love that because, you know, I never really thought of it in that aspect. You know, everyone's always like, oh, we need to recycle. The best way to be to be sustainable is to recycle or you know our waste but then you know you can't the the the, the average person can't control you what know happens or or, or or where you're at if you have that recycling and you you can you know go to a convenience center but after that what really happens where to it, it you, know, you know yes. and yeah. I, I really like how you brought that up um that you actually have control mm-hmm. in that and so yeah thanks for that so a lot of times um, I know my little brother at home, he actually is a mechanic in a uh, cardboard recycling facility. So he, um, without even knowing, comes home a lot of times and complains about the, the soiled material, um, you know, there being wet cardboard and it just, or, you know, food scraps, you know, not as much with the with cardboard, but with the plastics and stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to hit on a few tips and and tricks for recycling um, when it comes to having a a, a clean um, material. Um, So it's very, very important, these plastics, you know, your your plastic containers that food comes in, when it's time to recycle those, you can't just throw that in the recycling. I mean, you can, but more than likely that's going to be down the road put in the trash pile and and taken to the landfill. 
you, you got to think about it. That plastic, it gets it gets melted down and it gets reformed, reformed, reformed into you know new bottles or or anything that uses recycled plastic as its um, material, virgin material. Well, I guess it's not virgin material, but um, so you got to think if it's not just plastic, there's going to be other things added into that, mm-hmm. um, and then. There, that's a huge thing. I don't know. A lot of you guys have probably heard of the of the China ban. Um, what that is is the United States has always import or exported, excuse me, exported our a lot of our plastics to China to for it to be recycled into mm-hmm. new products. Well, recently China put a ban on the quality of plastic that they're going to be taking from the United States, and so that's really really affected the market mm-hmm. for plastics, and that's why. A lot of recyclers are having trouble right now. I know I'm sort of going on a tangent about this, but um, look up the China ban on plastics and to learn a little bit more about it. I'm not like, super well-versed in it, but it's really interesting to see and, and see how that is going to affect the whole recycling market. So on that, you know, being more cognizant, um, Jennifer, we wanted to ask you a few things like, you know, what can and can't go in a recycling bin and then uh, the best way to recycle things. For example, uh, you have pizza, it's a cardboard box. Um, can you recycle that pizza box? That's a tricky one. <laughs> so pizza boxes generally um, is, you know, sort of those two sides of the cardboard box. The top is usually clean cardboard, which is definitely recyclable. In fact, cardboard is a very valuable recyclable material, as you're, I'm sure your brother knows, Caleb. So it's a great one to recycle, so you can just rip it into. The bottom part where the pizza was sitting and grease and all over there is probably contaminated with food, with grease. And so it should not be recycled. It should be composted. Mm-hmm. If you have access to a compost facility or if you do that at home, good on you. And if not, then thrown away in the garbage. Because as y'all mentioned, if there's food soiled, paper or materials, um, those can really contaminate the recycling stream. So we want to try to get that out of there. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what about, um, so going off of examples again, so you go to a restaurant and you ask for a to-go box, and most of them are styrofoam, but I've seen a few plastics. Uh, how do you about, uh, can you recycle those if you wash them off, or what, what do you do with those? Yeah, and so just a little caveat is that I'm generally talking about Metro Nashville's policies on recycling, and so if there's listeners from other parts of the state, which we know there are, um, <laughs> for this statewide podcast, please you know check with your local um, government or local recycling rules to see what's recyclable uh, locally for you. But yeah, here in Metro Nashville, unfortunately, styrofoam is not recyclable, so that needs to go into the trash. Um, Publix supermarkets do take some small um, styrofoam pieces, so they're not going to take the styrofoam that wrapped your giant computer or TV, but they will take um, like small amounts. Um, But generally, we want to avoid styrofoam. But if the container that you got from the restaurant for your takeout was a hard plastic container you most definitely can recycle it you just like you said need to rinse it out you don't need to scrub it or like go to town but just kind of rinse it out make sure there's no uh, food particles on there and that can go in your recycling generally we like to tell people to make sure your recyclables are clean and dry before putting them in the recycling container because here in Metro we have single stream recycling. Okay. Single stream means that all the recyclables go in one bin. We don't separate them out. So if you have a greasy or, you know, if you have a yogurt container that still has yogurt, that's going to get on the paper that's mm-hmm. in the bin too and then it's all going to kind of get contaminated gotcha. and mixed up. Yeah, and, and so my last 
my senior year of college, um, my degree is um, environmental sustainability. So your last semester, you have to do some sort of internship. And I did an internship with a curbside recycler, a single stream, and it was just ridiculous about, you know, people just don't know, or I, I'm hoping that they just don't know. I'm hoping then, because we would go pick up, and, and I had to ride on the back of the truck and pick up all the curbside um, bins, and there'd be hose pipes in there. Mm -hmm. There would be, I mean, just food and... Diapers. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, just like the... And, yeah. and you know, and a majority of that stuff, when we got back to the plant, would go in the landfill pile. And, you know, I mean, even the people that are trying their hardest, these recyclers, mm -hmm. they there's just not enough manpower or time you know, I mean, yeah. when we separate. visited the um, the recycling facility here in Metro that takes all the residential recycling, um, their advice to us as we communicate with the public about what can and can't be recycled is don't get caught up in the weeds because it can get really confusing and you're sitting there, you know, tearing your hair out about this, can it, can it not mm -hmm. or whatever. And it, it feels overwhelming. So they really said, focus on what you know can be recycled. And so we've made a lot of signage for our facilities mm -hmm. within general services, within Metro, that just show four clear pictures. You know, cardboard, mixed paper, plastic, and metal. So, you know, metal, uh, soda cans, tin cans, things like that that are clean and dry. All the hard plastic containers, whether it's bottles or like a yogurt container, um, any kind of hard plastic, versus a film, which mm -hmm. we talked about yes. earlier, which is a big no-no. Yep. We don't want films in there, bags, but we want hard plastics, good. Again, making sure they're clean and dry. And then the cardboard and paper, um, pretty much all paper, mixed paper can go in there and cardboard. So if people can just kind of think, okay, cardboard, mixed paper, plastics, and metal, that does go in, then, you know, I would say if you're really on the fence about something and if you're not sure and if you don't have Caleb's cell phone to call him and ask him, <laughs> then don't put it in because it's better to, for us, especially in light of these international events around the recycling market, it's better for us to maintain a clean, um, uncontaminated stream of recyclables mm -hmm. that's more valuable to the cities and the, and the counties than to get everything in there. So when in doubt, you know, throw it out, um, but know what you can recycle. Yeah, and that's, that's been one of the biggest issues for me. I have all this anxiety, I'm like, everything has to be recycled. Every, I have to figure out how it can be recycled, but I, I love that when in doubt, throw it out because contaminating um, bills or contaminating what people have, you know, say, say, Ashley, you take a lot of time, you, you clean out all of your, your plastic and you, you, you do just a really good job like I do at my house. But for this example, say you do that and then I'm just like, oh, this is, I think this is, I think this will, this film, I think this plastic film that I got off my like, packaging for some toy or something, I throw it in there and then it makes it where all your hard work is, you know, in vain. Exactly. Yeah. And just one other thing is, so what we're talking about now, right, at least for Metro, is kind of the curbside recycling. What can you put in your bin at your office or your um, curbside bin at home? But of course, there's are a lot of kind of specialized materials, electronics, batteries, light bulbs, all these sorts of things that can be disposed of in a more sustainable way. They can be recycled, um, but they're not going to go in your regular recycling. But that's why um, Metro and many other cities and counties across the state have 
have convenience centers or hazardous waste drop-offs or electronics recycling programs and things like that for those kind of specialized materials. So definitely geek out on it. Mm -hmm. You know, we want people to be thinking about, wait, what can I do with this besides throw it in our our landfills, which, as you said, are getting fuller and fuller by the day. Um, But in terms of our just general single-stream curbside, think about those four items that can go in. And then if you have a specialized item, um, you should be able to go to your county or city's website and learn about what you can do with that to dispose of it in a better way. Yeah, and like Caleb said, don't don't stress out about it. I mean, because even us that are, uh, I wouldn't say more well-versed, but we... Uh, work in this area and um, uh, we don't even know how to recycle something sometimes so um, I as a rule of thumb for myself I always try to reduce it first so reduce the amount of plastic or um, what's considered single-use material reduce the amount that you're using of those because you reduce the amount in the first place just like if you reduce the amount of food that you Mm -hmm. buy in the first place there's less waste for you to have to deal with, you know. So use a reusable water bottle. Use reusable bags um, when you go to a grocery store. Use uh, glass containers for your leftovers because, first of all, it's better to cook, reheat stuff in that, and also they last longer. Um, So just a few tips there. That's so right, Ashley. Right on on that is always thinking about the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, but really an emphasis on the reduce because if you don't use it in the first place, then it's just not Mm -hmm. even in the equation. You're Mm -hmm. not going to have to make these difficult decisions about where it goes. Just avoid using it in the first place. And I wanted to add one more thing. I've heard people talk about the four R's. Do you guys know what the fourth R is? Reduce, reuse, recycle, and... Repeat. Oh, I was going to say, I heard repeat. That wasn't what I was looking for. (laughs) Do you want to give it a shot, Caleb? Reduce, reuse, recycle. And especially when it comes to organic matter, what do we want to do with that? We want to let it... Rot. Rot. Oh, yes. I actually was at a lunch and learn in Chattanooga, and I heard that. Oh, yeah. 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 So just thinking about that that as we're dealing with yard scraps or food waste, and of course we want to minimize that, but if we do have it keep it out of the landfill and, and go ahead and get our, you know, backyard compost uh, facilities going. Let it rot. Yeah, we'll, and um, I'm not sure what episode that's going to be, but we're going to have a full episode on um, composting, mm-hmm. backyard composting, um, bit, you know. Um, industrial. Industrial composting, thank you. Um, and hopefully I have, a, I have a few contacts at some of the, the big compost companies mm-hmm. that, I'm going to try to get a big compost council together and we'll have, you know, just because a lot of people don't even know what compost, you know, that that's a problem. They don't know that that food can't rot in the landfill because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, packed down. And Mm -hmm. well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming in and taking time out of your day. Uh, We've, I've learned a lot from you and, um, I'm very excited for everyone to hear this podcast, learn from you and to, um, have the resources like Sockets website yeah. and stuff like that. So we'll make sure that that's on there. Um, we'll have on the on the um, Instagram. We'll have um, links to all that and where you can get a hold of Jennifer if you have some questions. If you're in Metro Nashville about what can and can't go where and stuff like that. So great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And we're on socials too. So if people want to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, we'd love to have them. And of course our website and welcome folks to learn more about us and really appreciate you all having me on today. It was a pleasure and I appreciate all that you're doing at the state level to help us lead cleaner, greener lives. (laughs) Thank Thank you. 
This month, we talked to Adam Neblett. He's a ranger over at Dunbar Cave State Park. So we highlighted a lot of the good things going on over there. They're a smaller park, but they have a lot of bang for your buck. So uh, without further ado, I give to you the Ranger Report, brought to you by the Tennessee State Parks. Fun and adventure, naturally. All right, for our Ranger Report today, we have Adam Neblett. He is at Dunbar Cave State Park. Um, I've actually never been to Dunbar Cave. I, I saw it on the on the list of our 56 state parks, and I said, I need to learn a little bit more about this. So um, so today we have Adam on the phone. Adam, how are you? I'm good. That's good to hear. Um, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know being a park ranger um, isn't easy, and there's a lot of different stuff that you have to take care of. So um, taking time to, to let us know a little bit about your park is really important. So thank you for that. Sure. So I guess we'll just jump right on into it. Uh, if you want to go ahead and just give, maybe give a little rundown, a little history about yourself and what, what being a state park ranger means to you and, and why, you, why you're doing it. Sure. So I graduated from Austin Peay State University in December of 2004 with a bachelor's degree in environmental geography. And I was looking for a job and having some trouble finding a job in that particular field. And then a friend of mine mentioned that a seasonal position had opened up at Dunbar Cave. And I'd been coming here, you know, all my life. And my mom had been coming here even long before it was the state parks. So I took the seasonal job, did that for a year and a half, leading cave tours and other things, and then had an opportunity to become a full-time ranger in 2006, and I've been doing that ever since. That's awesome. Uh, and I, that's like a reoccurring theme that I'm seeing with a lot of the park rangers. They're like, oh, we, we're sort of interested about it. We did a little seasonal work and we fell in love with it, and then it was, you know, history from there. Right. Um, and I, I should have said this at the beginning. Can, can you give a little... Oh, in relation to if people don't really know where Dunbar Cave um, State Park is, could you give you know a little location if you're looking at the map? Sure. We are actually located in the St. Bethlehem area of Clarksville, Tennessee. So we're up near the Kentucky border, up near Fort Campbell Army Base. Awesome. So, you know, you were just talking about you have been going to the state park before it was a state park. Do you mind talking a little bit about the history and, and when it became a state park? Sure. Um, Dunbar Cave was officially designated as a state natural area managed by Tennessee State Parks in 1973. And for almost 100 years before that, it was a private resort. Um, the resort started in about in 1880 and ran all the way up until 1971. It was a resort centered around social events at the cave, music and dancing and just community um, gatherings. There was a swimming pool built here. Actually, our current park visitor center is located in the former bathhouse for the swimming pool. The swimming pool is gone now, but it is the, the area that we have our butterfly garden in now. Um, there were at least three different hotels here over the years serving the guests that were coming here. And prior to it becoming a resort, it was the, the property the cave was on was part of a large plantation, and the cave was used as a storehouse for the plantation. Um, there's mention of slaughtering hogs and storing the meat in the cave and storing grain in the cave. Basically, you know, the cave stays 56 to 58 degrees year-round, so it basically makes for a giant refrigerator. And that's also one of the reasons why they held all the social events there was because of the cool breeze blowing out of the cave in the pre-air um, conditioning days. Wow. So nature's, nature's uh, air conditioner. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's, re that's really, really neat. I didn't, 
know that that was so like they had co- I guess concerts and and social events there. That's that's very neat to me. I, did, I had no idea. And basically, um, by the mid mid to second half of the 20th century, once artificial air conditioning was available, um, it, it kind of made the cave obsolete as far as a, a venue, and people stopped coming here, and so the resort eventually closed. Um, but, you know, that led to it becoming the state natural area and state park that it is today. Wow, that's such rich history that I had no clue about. That's that's one of the, the main reasons that I'm that these ranger reports are so important to me is because, you know, a lot of people just think of state parks as a place to get outside and, you know, mm-hmm. go on a free hike. But, but there's so much, you know, rich Tennessee history in our, the state parks that I just love uncovering. It's, it's like a going down. Um, well, and, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of different historic um, data to, to read. And you guys got a bunch of cool stuff like that at the uh, visitor center and stuff like that. And I, I guess going into the talking about visitor center and, and stuff to do, um, I know it's Dunbar Cave is a, a smaller park. How many acres is it? It's 144 acres. So, so would you classify that as a smaller one on on the scale of Tennessee oh, state yes. parks? Um, most of the state parks are thousands, if not tens of thousands, of acres. So we are on the on the smaller side. Um, and so, what all is there to do there? Like, I, I'm guessing that you can tour the cave. Right, so our cave tour season is going on right now. The tour season basically runs from the beginning of May to the end of September, and we do close the cave the rest of the year to allow the bats to hibernate in peace. Um, we, we were struck with white-nose syndrome several years ago, which is a deadly fungal disease that is responsible for wiping out millions of bats across the country. So by us closing the cave during the hibernation period, we're doing our due diligence to help the bats uh, recover. So in addition to the cave tours, we also have hiking trails, um, hiking about a little bit over three miles of trails. It's very popular with the locals. We have a lot of regular visitors. They come here every day, sometimes twice a day, um, just to enjoy our hiking trails. We also do a variety of different educational programs on a variety of topics, you know, guided hikes on the trails. Just, you know, we do lots of interesting stuff. And you guys don't offer any type of camping or overnight, correct? It's just a day park? It is a day-use park, mainly just to the size of it. Un- understandable. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to do a full park tour with some of my friends because they're all talking about wanting to go to Max Patch or some of these places outside of the state. And I'm like, like I said earlier, there's so many places, so many state parks that we can you know, go hike at, go camp at. So I'm trying to make a, a plan of how I can go to every 56 state parks with my friends and show them just really the, the true beauty sure. of Tennessee. Yeah. So th- this is definitely going to be one on our list, and, and we'll have to do it before before cave season's over because I'm a little scared of caves, I'm not going to lie, but if, if there's a tour, then I know it's safe. So yeah. uh, I'm not really into the you know spelunking or doing that type of stuff but right it is a walking tour so we're not going to be doing any true spelunking like crawling around and things like that there is one place where you do have to kind of stoop over to enter the last room but it's it's a walking tour it's a flashlight led tour there there are no artificial lights in the cave so it makes us a little bit unique in that respect because most of the caves that you go to that offer tours are very commercialized and we're not yeah it kind of adds more to that that cave experience you get more of a 
you know, what it's like to actually experience the cave in its natural state. Wow, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, the only other cave tour I've been to is, um, I want to say Cumberland Caverns or something like that. And mm-hmm. It's It's got that artificial lighting, correct? I, right. I think, I think yeah. It so, I, yeah, that makes me even want to go there even more. So, wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to, to get that this summer. Check that off my list. Yeah. All right, well, um, I guess, is there any type of, I know you guys are a smaller park, like you said, but is there any other type of, like volunteer activities that you guys do. I know you said you do a lot of education and stuff like that, but is there any, you know, just for anybody listening that's in that area, is there any opportunities that they have to come clean up every once in a while or, or anything that you yeah, guys have Yeah, we try to have um, at least one volunteer day a month. Uh, we had one this past Saturday for helping to clean up and weed in our butterfly garden, and we're going to be having another one this coming Saturday as well. Awesome. And what I'll do is I'll link... Um, on our Instagram page, I'll link to the website through the state parks. I guess it's through the state parks um, website. Uh, so, and I don't know if you guys post that kind of stuff, but do y'all have like a Twitter or an Instagram or anything like that? We do have a very active Facebook page. Okay. Um, I believe we we may have an Instagram page that our park manager runs. I don't Instagram, so I'm not <laughs> really sure about that. But we do have a very active Facebook page where all of our events and programs are listed, and it's also listed on our official website. All right. Well, yeah, I'll definitely make sure to link the Facebook page and the website on the Instagram post for episode four, which is sure. this one, um, and this is our second Ranger Report well, uh, I, I think that's basically it. you have anything else that you'd want to mention? Yes, I saved the best for last. Okay, perfect. So our cave tours are something very special because visitors get to see something that you literally cannot see anywhere else in the entire world. And what I'm referring to is the Mississippian Dark Zone cave art. So the Mississippian people were Native Americans who lived in this area about 1,000 to 800 years ago. And they use our cave basically as an art gallery, drawing some of their sacred images on the walls inside. And this Mississippian dark zone cave art is mainly only found in the southeast. There are a number of caves where they're found in, but none are available for the public to go in. So we're unique in the fact that this is the only place the public can actually get to see and experience this. Oh, wow. You did say the best for last. I I had no idea. That is something that is spectacular um and so i guess there's i'm, I'm sure that the the tour guide knows you know where they're at and, and so do, do the people that go on the tours do they bring their own flashlights or is it just one flashlight or no it is a is a flashlight led tour so that's something that we require is to everybody to bring their own flashlight um we do off we do sell some in our gift shop here if people forgot but they can also bring uh bring them from home but that is a requirement to go on the tour yeah i would i would think that everyone would need their own so they can see where they're going and stuff like that but wow thank you for that thank you for, and thank you for taking time out of your schedule sure, absolutely. I, I'm I'm very excited I'll uh, I'll be emailing you soon and seeing whenever be the best time for for me to bring all my friends out there because yeah we're for, I, I live in Murfreesboro so it's not, not that too far away. yeah not too not too bad and I drive up to Nashville every day anyway so um well Adam I really really appreciate this um and I will be seeing you soon okay looking forward to it Have a good one. All right.